This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles. This is the finish line. The Stanford Racing Team has made its way into the history books. But the most important thing for me is, uh, if it doesn't matter who comes first, it matters that we as a, as a community achieve it. Early in a technology, um, a, a thousand flowers should bloom. Welcome to Smarter Cars. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. In this episode, we talk with Darton Ito, the Deputy Director of Innovation at San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Darton has been with SFMTA since 1998, working on transportation planning and innovation policy. Darton, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You are the Deputy Director for Innovation at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, SFMTA. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at SFMTA and what you do? Sure. Um, so the, the role of innovation here at SFMTA is a relatively new office that was created um, about a year ago when the Department of Transportation uh, launched their Smart City Challenge. Um, so when, when that opportunity came up, it was, it was recognized that, you know, the existing structure that we had here wasn't, uh, there wasn't a place for that type of effort to live. And so the Office of Innovation was created, um, to lead that smart city challenge. Um, and that proposal that the San, that San Francisco put together had, uh, 16 different elements, and some of which include included um, autonomous vehicles of various sorts, whether they be, uh, you know, more shuttles or um, working with private sector providers. And so from there, there that's that was kind of the genesis of the Office of Innovation. And as we've seen at the federal and the state level, there have been um, some actions to, uh, you know, figure out how to manage uh, autonomous vehicles um, from a safety and, and testing perspective. And so part of my role is to review the that legislation and or proposed rules or policies and ensure that um, the city's interests are, are captured within those um, within those proposals. Terrific. Um, So, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we saw last year at the federal level, uh, NHTSA issued some guidance and set up a a safety assessment process it would like manufacturers to go through before testing or deploying autonomous vehicles. And then here in California, uh, the legislature enacted a statute in 2012, and the California DMV originally implemented some regulations about autonomous vehicles in 2014, and they're in the process of of updating those regulations this year. So we have federal and state rules governing autonomous vehicles, and what we'd like to discuss today is the role of cities uh, like San Francisco. And so I'd like to start by asking you um, more broadly what you see as the potential benefits and the potential challenges of autonomous vehicles in a city uh, like San Francisco? Well, I think, you know, the thing that that we start with in San Francisco is safety. Um, San Francisco is one of the cities that has adopted as a Vision Zero uh, policy goal. Our goal is to 
eliminate traffic-related deaths by 2024, which is only a few years out. And so, you know, one of the one of the promises of autonomous vehicles is, is that they will help to remove uh, some of the human error that that um, results in collisions and um, in too many cases uh, traffic deaths. And so, that's one of the 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 benefits that we can see um, autonomous vehicles having. Um, it, and then after that, it it really depends upon whether these vehicles are simply replacing the private um, automobiles, you know, kind of one for one, as we're seeing today, or whether it opens up new transportation options or a new way of people moving around, um, perhaps, you know, reducing the, the number of cars that are, you know, within the city or operating within the city, more sharing, um, higher occupancy of those, which would then help uh, us to achieve some of our other goals, which is, you know, reducing single occupancy uh, auto trips, um, decreasing uh, the impacts that the transportation sector has upon the environment, um, and, and things like that. Um, I, I read the uh, piece that the National League of Cities put out on sort of how cities can prepare for autonomous vehicles. And it talked about the need for, for cities and regional transit authorities to work together to think about how autonomous vehicles might affect public transit going forward. And I just wanted to ask, what, what is San Francisco doing to think about sort of this long-term planning? As you point out, a lot of the benefits of autonomous vehicles might be best achieved if they're facilitating uh, sharing or um, other types of of transit. And I'm just wondering what San Francisco is doing along those lines. Well, there's, you know, what I think at this point, there's more questions than there are answers or, or solutions. Um, you know, it's yet to see how, how, how autonomous vehicles could uh, most effectively support uh, the transit network. Um, in San Francisco, we've built up the public transit system over the past hundred years, a very significant investment by, by, the, by the public um, and government in, in uh, developing a, a pretty robust transit network that's able to uh, transport a large number of people uh, efficiently and simply um, trying to move all of those people into uh, autonomous cars, for example, um, would gridlock the streets, even with, you know, really complex algorithms to maximize use of every alleyway and, and uh, space. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of questions about how how those those vehicles can help. Um, you know, supplement, complement, reach those harder to reach areas, um, provide mobility for people that may not be able to use transit, um, but the public transit network that we have today. Uh, we're also, we're partnering with our sister agency, the Transportation Authority, who are managing the, the mobility of Treasure Island, which is a new newly developing neighborhood that's on an island that's about halfway between San Francisco and Oakland. And part of that mobility management plan is to have an on-island circulator shuttle to um, help 
help people get to and from the regional transit, which would be ferry and bus service on and off the island. Um, also internal circulation to, you know, any of the retail or um, places within the island. And so originally when, when the development was proposed, I think these were going to be traditional shuttle vans that would have a, a human greater. Um, but now we have a grant to do a pilot to explore the use of an, an autonomous shuttle, um, which, you know, could have the benefits of allowing us to have more frequent service or longer spans of service um, for the for the same dollars that a you know more traditionally operated shuttle of that nature would have. So um, that that's probably our first first foray into you know autonomous vehicles is you know transit like publicly operated um, service. Sure. And, you know, San Francisco, unfortunately, didn't win the Smart Cities uh, challenge, but I know you guys did a lot of work in thinking about uh, some uh, pilot programs and tests and things that could be done in different neighborhoods. Are you thinking about moving forward with that kind of testing in order to start to explore things, as you mentioned, like the outer neighborhoods where perhaps it would be more efficient to use something like rideshare than to continue to run bus routes that, you know, that might not be um, profitable or, or that kind of trial? Um, at this time, we haven't identified anything beyond the, the Treasure Island pilot. Um, you know, I think that there's um, uh, certainly opportunities in some planning and analysis that we'd want to do to kind of understand where where those opportunities may lie, but we don't have any specific proposals at this time or things that we're actively exploring. Okay, so the the California DMV um, proposal to update their autonomous vehicle regulations, um, I think the most recent draft of those regulations came out in March and a number of cities and and folks in the industry submitted public comments uh, on those regulations, including SFMTA. And so I wanted to ask you about a couple of those topics and and get some of your thoughts there. Um, So first, the California, the proposed rules require manufacturers to notify and coordinate with cities or other localities um, before testing uh, driverless cars in your jurisdiction. I think it's not really clear what that notification or coordination would entail, but I know SFMTA in in your public comments uh, stated that you thought cities should be notified in advance of testing and or deployment of autonomous vehicles and that cities should retain the power to deny testing on city streets and and designate sort of where and when testing can occur. And so if San Francisco has that power, sort of how would you propose to evaluate requests for testing? Uh, where and when would you think sort of testing would be appropriate? Or what kinds of limits do you think the city would be interested in seeing um, as testing proposals are put forward? Well, I think, you know, the, you know, Harkening back to the the NHTSA policy guidelines, you know, they had the 15-point safety assessment. And I think in the California DMV's uh, proposed um, regulations, they they referenced that as well. And so I think, 
you know, that that's a starting point for, um, you know, demonstrating that the manufacturer has thought about the, you know, the potential safety implications of testing um, the, the vehicles on, on public streets. I think, you know, the, the thing that, that we're concerned about here, one thing that we're concerned about here in San Francisco is that uh, we have a pretty dynamic environment where there's, you know, a lot of changes to city streets, whether there be for, you know, temporary events or construction. And so, you know, making sure that there's engagement and knowledge of, of um, you know, what, what the, the vehicle is likely to encounter out there and that the manufacturer has thought about those things in advance and, and uh, has plans to, for how, how the vehicle would react in different situations that may not be um, what it was expecting to see out there on city streets. So that's one example of the type of thing that, um, yeah, I think that there's more conversation between the vehicle manufacturers and cities about how best to communicate those, the, those kind of the dynamic nature of city streets. Um, there's also, you know, we've, we've been pretty proactive in trying to identify, um, you know, different ways of approaching safety for particularly for bicyclists and, and pedestrians. And so, you know, there's uh, a lot of unique um, or unique street markings, um, the green bike lanes and ways to convey to uh, vehicle operators to be aware that a bicyclist or a pedestrian may be in this this location. And so ensuring that, that these autonomous vehicles are able to really understand the nuances of this range of, of traffic control and, you know, signaling the, the potential for um, other road users is, is something that we're really interested in working with the, the manufacturers to make sure that they're, they're understanding how, how to navigate those as well. Sure. And so you mentioned safety. So let's talk a little bit about that. I think, you know, as you mentioned, you know, NHTSA came out with its guidance, which is voluntary uh, for the industry to comply with. Uh, I think the California rules are, are interested in making that perhaps mandatory for folks who are going to test and, and deploy in California, which I guess is a subject of some some debate in in the comments to those rules, but NHTSA does have this 15 point assessment and uh, generally has been charged with safety of motor vehicles uh, historically. Uh, the way that NHTSA has always regulated uh, automobiles is using a self certification method where the company will certify that its cars meet a certain standard. But we don't have government pre-approval or third-party testing where uh, General Motors or someone has to uh, sort of prove that their car meets all the federal motor vehicle safety standards. Uh, instead, in this country, we've always had self-certification by the industry, and then NHTSA has the ability to recall, and there's tort liability and other remedies if, if for some reason the vehicle doesn't meet those standards. Um, I, I think in the California uh, regulations, there was some discussion with the DMV initially about whether the DMV in California might uh, take a different approach and might require some sort of third-party testing 
in order to offer the safety assurance that you referred to before cars were tested or, or deployed uh, on California streets. And I think California, ultimately the DMV, uh, decided against that approach and, and continued with the self-certification approach that's been the standard in the industry. Um, I think the SFMTA, in your comments, um, disagreed with that and thought perhaps there should be uh, safety benchmarks and third-party testing or some sort of external validation uh, that safety benchmarks are being met. Can you talk a little bit about your views on that? Um, you know, this this is something that I think is probably, you know, a, an evolving conversation, um, you know, with the, the limited number of miles that these vehicles have operated that, you know, the, and the right now a, a really small, um, you know, amount of experience to know, you know, what, what are the larger implications as these uh, start to be deployed further. And so I think, you know, they're, they're, may come a time where you know the the self-certification by the industry may not be enough um you know that there it, it's possible that there's um things that we can't foresee that that um we need a little bit uh, stronger approach than maybe we've taken in the past but uh, i think you know our comments were expressing to keep that discussion alive um rather than just uh, kind of defaulting to the the approaches to the the motor vehicle industry that that have occurred in the past. Yeah, I think the DMV in its initial statement of reasons for the the most recent draft of the regulations had basically come out and said that they there was an inability to formulate a pass fail criteria that would be used for third-party testers, and so they were concerned about anomalous results and that it it wouldn't sort of uniformly determine the safe operation of autonomous vehicles. And so I think that was the basis for for them backing off uh, from that approach in, in the California regulations. I guess we'll see where NHTSA ends up on it, but for the moment I think NHTSA's uh, sticking with, with self-certification. Um, with respect to... Uh, testing in the city, in addition to these concerns about safety and the ability of autonomous vehicles to react to pedestrians and bicyclists, are there uh, other limits in terms of geography or time of day or other things that that you are anticipating uh, in terms of testing of autonomous vehicles, especially ones where there's you know not even a safety driver in the car? It's just you know. A car without a driver, I think, is how the regulations are are set up. Well, I think you know, like like what happened in any city, um, you know, there's different environmental uh, conditions or different weather patterns. You know, San Francisco is famous for its fog, um, so no lying clouds and things like that. Uh, um, you know, how how do you navigate that? Perhaps these autonomous vehicles would do a much better job than than us humans. Uh, you know, so that's that maybe one of the more unique uh, parts here, us in London and a few other places. Um, but you know, I think that the 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 um, I guess the operating domain that you know the manufacturers are or the AV manufacturers are establishing need to account for all those various conditions: rain, fog, 
um, you know, different lighting conditions and, and other things as well. Um, and I think that that, that section there um, uh, of, the, of the proposed regulations, as long as it's a very clear um, and consistent application of those terms across the industry, uh, would would help to to address a, a lot of those those um, situations. Right. So you're referring to the operational design domain. I think the California rules uh, want to make sure the manufacturer has you know tested the autonomous vehicle under controlled conditions that simulate these operational design domains that the vehicles are intended to operate in. Um, I think the SFMTA in its comments mentioned that you would like to see these standard definitions of the operational design domains, as, as you were just mentioning, including something called urban multimodal environment. Um, what do you think that kind of an, an operational design domain would include? Like, What are the things you're concerned about there? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, there's a, a lot more complex movements, often at a lower operating speed, reaction times, uh, you know, are reduced in terms of uh, the, the number of different situations that the, the vehicle could encounter. So, um, you know, recognizing that once you leave a highway freeway, or you know even a or higher speed arterial network that once you get into an urban environment that there's a, a lot more factors that that come into play a lot more moving pieces and that um, you know the the vehicles have been tested and and are able to uh, safely operate in those in those in those situations um, I think uh, one of the things that we I, recall we mentioned in here uh, in the letter itself was something that NACTO uh, had recommended, which was, you know, setting a, a maximum speed for autonomous vehicles in urban environments, you know, kind of going back to the safety um, goal, you know, reducing speeds, also um, reduce the severity of any collisions that, that may occur. Yeah, I, I noticed that and was thinking, you know, the maximum operating speed of 25 miles per hour in the city, which I think is what NACTO, uh, the National Association of City Transportation Officials, uh, has suggested. Uh, I can kind of see that going both ways. Uh, why why 25 miles an hour as opposed to the speed limit? I guess I'm a little concerned um, there are certainly parts of San Francisco where the speed limit might be much higher, like 40 miles per hour. And so is it uh, more of a safety hazard to have the car going too slowly or how would you manage uh, that aspect of it? Um, yeah, I think it, it, like I said before, it goes back to the, the, the idea that, you know, it's a safer speed re reduces the, the potential for, you know, fatal collisions and, and other things. So, um, you know, that's just an example of the type of, of, of aspect that we would like to see included. Um, you know, that the exact miles per hour is probably up for debate, but it's some acknowledgement that you're in a different environment and that there may be different requirements or um, limitations on the operation of the vehicles when you're in a complex urban environment. 
they have to recognize cable cars, I guess, in San Francisco. Be a little a little different. Cable cars, cable car tracks, turnarounds, and everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Um, I think NACTO's uh, comments um, also suggested, and this might have been at the federal level, uh, the question of whether level three autonomous vehicles should be allowed in these complex urban environments as opposed to a level four or level five vehicle, um, given the you know necessity of a human driver taking back control with level three and some of the dangers around people misusing that type of technology do do you have a view on on whether level three should be allowed in in a downtown uh, urban environment? Um, I don't think that our agency has come up with an official uh, statement on that, but I think that there is a, a big difference between, you know, levels three and below and levels four and five. And, you know, personally, I would have concerns with, um, you know, levels three, three and below because it, it, there's, an acknowledgement that the the human operator should be ready to uh, intervene or uh, take control at any moment, and you know, from you know our more my perspective, I think that that's again reintroducing the the human element that you know a lot of the the hope for autonomous vehicles is is trying to eliminate. Right. So. The California uh, regulations um, are going to be addressed only to cars and not to larger commercial vehicles like trucks and buses. So testing and deployment uh, will be allowed in the state of California if these rules are adopted um, for automobiles, but not for, say, trucks over 10,000 pounds. Um, but there is the concept of commercial use of autonomous vehicles, even setting aside sort of the big trucks, just looking at automobiles. It seemed like the SFMTA was concerned in its comments about commercial use of autonomous vehicles and noted that cities should issue some additional regulations pertaining specifically to commercial operation. Can you tell us a little bit about what commercial services you have in mind and what kinds of additional regulations you think uh, cities might be interested in? Well, in that, in that respect, a lot of the commercial applications that we were referring to are things like the TNCs. So, you know, if you're um, using autonomous vehicles to um, provide trips in, in uh, cars, um, you know, again, getting back to our overall goals of, you know, reducing the amount of vehicle travel, congestion, and um, related things. To that, that you know, there needs to be some thought about the commercial application of autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, how how do we um, ensure that they're being utilized in a way that is you know not significantly increasing the number of vehicle miles traveled? That we don't have a large increase in the, the dreaded zero occupant uh, vehicles. Uh, so it, a lot of 
that that comment was to put a placeholder on the discussion that um, you know the commercial application has some unique aspects that that cities would like to weigh in on and have a discussion with the DMV and and the uh, manufacturers or even some of the serv- potential service providers in that case. Right. What. What kinds of things do you think? I think people see this today with rideshare, with human drivers also, the question around uh, how do passengers get in and out of the vehicles and how uh, does traffic flow get affected by that? Are there any thoughts that you have as to how, you know, with autonomous vehicles, perhaps making more trips or uh, doing more rideshare, how the city streets could be better utilized to accommodate that. And it sounds like you want to encourage rideshare and carpooling and multiple uses of, of vehicles rather than individual car ownership. Um, you know, how, how do you think the, the streets can work to facilitate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've started to talk about, you know, what, what we're, we're calling the bulge, you know, there's going to be this, transitionary period where, you know, they'll start to be, um, you know, these addition, this additional capacity to move people, uh, perhaps through autonomous vehicles, uh, in the near future today, more from, um, other, other services, but, you know, how, how do we accommodate that, that transition, um, while a, a large number of people still own a, a private automobile and, you haven't yet transitioned into, um, you know, reducing auto ownership and relying more on, uh, mobility services in the future. And so, you know, there's, there's kind of a caution about rushing to reimagine the city streetscape to, um, you know, facilitate an autonomous vehicle future because there will be um, inevitably a long, long transition period, um, you know, questions that, that are often raised in discussions around the topic are, you know, will we have autonomous vehicle dedicated streets and things like that? And, um, you know, it, it seems like there'll be a a fairly large transition period, um, where, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to, just convert uh, a city over to the autonomous vehicle only. Um, I think some of the the more interesting things from our perspective are the impacts that it'll have on parking. You know, both um, you know within buildings, um, you know, potential for reusing space on city streets. Um, you know, allowing more space for pedestrians, bicyclists, other things, um, reducing the need for on street. Parking, which could be repurposed for pickup and drop-offs um, of a, a, a large range of, of types of vehicles or mobility services. So, you know, I think that there's a, a lot to be thought of, thought through on the land use side, especially since a lot of the changes or the the bones of what we have to work with are in place, and so. Um, making significant changes to those costs a lot of money and take a lot of time and need to be um, approached from a, a pretty um, a thoughtful way. Yeah. 
Are you guys seeing an impact already with respect to parking garages from the use of rideshare? I know anecdotally, I park downtown and the parking garages are, you know, much less busy than they ever were. It's pretty easy to get a spot. Um, And I can only assume that's in part because people who live in the city are using or finding it economically beneficial to use rideshare to get to work. Are are you guys seeing an impact in the parking garages? Um, That's something that I don't personally know if, if we've seen, seen a reduction in use of garages. You know, there's the, there's a number of public parking garages that MTA uh, manages, um, you know, that are, that are city run. uh, But there's a, whole lot more um, parking spaces that are privately, uh, you know, on private property. And so those, we'd probably have less of an idea, but um, certainly um, we would be able to monitor the impact on the the public garages over time. Um, An interesting thing about, you know, kind of the shift, if if that shift really is occurring, is that, um, you know, a, a good portion of the parking revenues that, that the city receives are actually um, helping to support the robust transit network. So one thing that that we have to keep our eye on is, you know, how changing travel be, uh, patterns and, and um, the use of city's parking uh, assets change over time and how um, we can continue to provide the, the transportation system that we have if um, those revenues start to to drop off. Yeah, let's talk about pricing. Um, you know, you the SFMTA and its its comments, the DMV, uh, and I think NACTO also mentioned that cities want to retain the ability to make additional rules governing autonomous vehicles, and in particular to retain the ability to price access to city streets. Um, how do you think that might look? Are are you thinking like a vehicle miles traveled tax or charging for curb access, congestion pricing? Like, what are the ways that this city might price access to city streets? Well, at at this time, I don't think that San Francisco has decided or has settled on a particular um, method for that. But you know, we we identified the goals that we're trying to achieve and that's you know to reduce the number of vehicle miles traveled um, you know reduce uh, auto ownership rates um, to you know reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and other um, emissions from from automobiles or the uh, you know transportation vehicles so you know it it, from my perspective, it could be a mixture of, you know, incentives that help us to achieve those goals and then also, uh, you know, fees of some sort for those that, that um, you know, want to do something different um, yeah, and, you know, creating a way to then have a pool of funding to help, you know, kind of create that virtuous cycle of, of um, helping us to achieve our overall city city goals um, from that perspective. It's interesting because when people talk about, you know, taxing 
autonomous vehicles, which I think in large part are going to be electric, it kind of seems backwards, right? Like if, if someone's going to, you know, give up individual ownership and you're going to have ride sharing or carpooling with autonomous vehicles serving, you know, multiple people as opposed to individual cars driving downtown, it seems like you'd want to incentivize that behavior, especially if it's in an electric vehicle. Um, so it always seems a little backwards to me to think about taxing the autonomous vehicle. It's almost like you want to tax the the old gasoline vehicle with one person in it rather than the, the rideshare vehicle that's electric. Yeah, you know, I think that you're looking at one one mode of travel is is probably limiting um, and you know wouldn't necessarily address the overall uh, challenges that we face in providing you know safe, environmentally sound um, transportation system as a whole. Um, but you know, that in reference back to this comment, since it was specifically on autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, we want that to be part of the conversation, uh, may not be the, the, the full solution on its own, but um, could be part of a larger discussion on how do we achieve these pretty ambitious goals that the city and the state have, um, particularly around uh, greenhouse gas emissions. How are you um, engaging with industry on some of these discussions and issues? Are is the city going to have some sort of a, a committee, or are you just kind of participating in one-off uh, discussions with industry players uh, about uh, these various issues? Um, you know, we've we've had some some discussions, you know, with with particular. Um, you know, AV manufacturers. Um, we haven't settled on kind of a, a forum approach. I think a lot of it is, you know, just keeping keeping abreast of what is happening. I think, um, you know, part of our comments re uh, were reflective of, you know, making sure that the reports that the, the AV the AV testing uh, reports are are made available. That they're easy to use. That you know we can start to look at things like the disengagements or uh, collisions and kind of understand what challenges the the vehicles are facing. Um, you know, and perhaps there's there there are opportunities for the the city to um, help in in some of those cases. You mentioned the disengagement reporting. California has had disengagement reporting for a number of years now with the current regulations. I think the, the proposed new rules have some additional requirements. Uh, it sounded like SFMTA supports a little more detailed disengagement reporting, including the specific address where the disengagement happens. What do you hope to learn from this addition, additional detailed reporting? I know the, the industry has expressed some concern about um, privacy and also around confidential you know, business secrets uh, being a little bit too uh, exposed with that level of granularity. Um, what does what the city hope to learn from additional detailed reporting? I think, you know, it get, goes back to the the complex nature of, of um, you know, city like San Francisco, where, you know, one end of the block can be very different than the other, um, you know, that 
just the general vicinity or even um, block face may not be enough to really understand, you know, what what the challenge uh, was or, you know, what what was influencing the the disengagement to happen. So a lot of it has has to do with, um, you know, understanding what, you know, a better sense of what what um, what the vehicle was experiencing um, when those disengagements happened. And, you know, uh, over time, perhaps there's, you know, patterns that start to um, develop that then, again, there may be a role for the city to um, to work with the the manufacturers and the, the testers of these vehicles to address. Great. And, you know, I know there's been some concern in the industry about disengagements, how they're reported, and whether it really uh, presents a true picture of what's going on with the vehicle. Um, and perhaps some planned disengagements versus disengagements uh, to prevent an accident. There's different definitions that have been proposed. Um, do you have a thought on how disengagement reporting might be uh, more useful? Are you concerned about the noise in the data? Um, you know, that's that's an interesting um, question that, you know, it, personally I hadn't contemplated before. Um, you know, it... From our perspective, I think it'd be m more useful to know when there's the unplanned disengagements. The you know if there are you know certain situations where you know just by routine um, whatever procedures the tester has in place uh, to get disengage at certain locations or times a day or whatever it is, uh, those are probably less useful and like you said could create some some noise in the data um you know i think at this point again there's there there aren't um you know within individual cities yet there aren't like a a, a large number of um reports uh to really start to see if see what kind of patterns there there may be um but that'll that'll change over time as more more and more uh you know vehicle miles are, are, are traveled and we'll see how, how that evolves over time. Are there, uh, are there any other issues that we haven't touched on in particular that SFMTA is concerned about or would like to see the industry uh, address um, going forward as, as you work together? One of the things that um, you know, always comes into play is you know access to the vehicles, um, particularly you know, people with disabilities. Um, you know we we have a robust paratransit services of various types to uh, help people that um, you know need different mobility solutions to um, get around the city um, and to to their destinations um you know that's that's an area where you know some of the early um you know, benefits of the of the autonomous vehicles are that you know to expand uh, mobility um for you know seniors persons with disabilities and and um other groups but um you know so far 
you know, the, the types of vehicles, the vehicles themselves haven't necessarily been reimagined from that perspective. Um, and then, you know, there's also uh, people that may need assistance just, uh, you know, getting into and out of the vehicles, which when you have an operator, there's always a human there that um, if they're proper train can assist um, what what happens in the future um, when you don't need a human operator um, you know how 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 do we ensure that that people still have um, you know good access to to mo- uh, mobility great well thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today really appreciate it yeah thank you Thanks to Darton for joining us, and thanks to all of you for listening. You can find our show notes for this episode and all episodes at medium.com on our publication, Smarter Cars. We look forward to seeing you next time.